Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Michael Bruce, otherwise known as the sleep doctor. Now, you guys, this guy is the leading person in the country when it comes to ways to improve your sleep. And now with all the information out of how important sleep is for your overall well-being, health, and wellness, there's no time like now to make sure that you listen to this podcast. He is one of these guys that really give you information that you can take and you can integrate easily into your life. We talk about sleep hacks, what type of sleeper you are, the importance of naps, and it goes on and on. He has a new book out. He's written so many, but his new one is called Energize, how to go from dragging ass to kicking it in 30 days. Uh, The guy is just great. And I really hope you enjoy this podcast because uh, he's been on before and people really, really enjoyed it. They got a lot of out of it. So I'm happy to have him return again. So enjoy. Today on the podcast, we have one of my dear friends. Indeed. Right. And who's been on this podcast many times. He's known as the sleep doctor. His real name is Michael Bruce, Dr. <laughs> Michael Bruce, but otherwise AKA known. AKA as the sleep doctor. And I just said before we even started, Michael, uh, the sleep doctor is one of my most popular guests. He's been on, uh, this will be a third time, I think. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Third time. People love talking about sleep, how they can sleep better. Absolutely. You know, it's fun because it's one of those few things that everybody could kind of use a little bit more advice on. Everybody wants to know, hey, is there a tip? Is there a trick? Is there some other way to eke out a little bit more quality? And we've got a bunch of them. Um, I'm so glad to hear that because (laughs) he's got another book out and it's called uh, Energize. It's called Going from Dragging Ass to Kicking It in 30 Days. And he wrote this with Stacey Griffith, who is a very well-known uh, fitness uh, Soul Cycle instructor, correct? Yep. She's one of the founding instructors at Soul Cycle. And so, yeah, so you get kind of like a blend of sleep, a blend of fitness and yep. diet. And exactly. It's kind of an overall program for energy, right? Because our body is taking on energy and expending energy 24 hours a day. And so right. the idea behind the book was, can we give people something scientifically based that's simple to do that they can actually personalize a program just for them and the answer took a while but the answer is yes yeah absolutely because they also because you're you're all about the chronotypes i am all about right? the chronotypes <laughs> and that's she's right. about the body types that's right and then the blend together exactly. i mean you get you get this uh amazing book so uh let's start with okay how do we go from being exhausted to then being energized in you know, in a soundbite, Michael. <laughs> right, in, right. In, in three easy steps. <laughs> yes. So the first thing we have to do is figure out where our energy lies. So mm-hmm. one of the first things, you no, know, people really don't think about energy until it's low, mm-hmm. right? So people are like, oh, I've got such low energy. I've never heard anybody complain. Oh my God, I've just got too much energy today, right? Like, exactly. does that ever freaking happen? Because I'm pretty sure it doesn't. So we use something that we've used in the fitness world for a very long time called the RPEs, right? So it's the re- perceived exertion scale. Right. So ratings of perceived exertion by Gunnar Borg uh, back in the 70s. And this is when you're doing fitness exercises. How much exertion do you feel it's causing for you? And we're using that as a rating of energy. So we educate people in the very first chapter of the book about this scale. And we say, look, we want you to just check in on your energy level five different times throughout the day. So once after you wake up, then once before lunch, 
once after lunch, once right before dinner, and then right before bed. Just kind of giving a zero to 10 scale. So it's pretty straightforward. We have you set alarms on your phone. So that way you can figure out, hey, are there particular times during the day where my energy is low? Mm. Because those are the times I'm going to attack to raise that up. But we have to figure out which type of energy is low because believe it or not, there are multiple types of energy. Right. No, I, I love that. And so how then, how do we do this? So what's the first step? Of doing this. So step number one, buy the book. Um, so <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do you like that one? Yeah, that's great. I like it. Exactly. S- step number two, <laughs> step number two is really commit to this idea for 30 days, right? And so what we're going to have you do is again, use this energy scale um, for about seven days. Once you've done the energy scale for seven days, then we're going to start to learn a little bit more. And then after that, Believe it or not, we're going to have you take another quiz. So you know how I am about my yeah, quizzes. I was going to say, always with the quizzes with you. Yes, yes. I love the quizzes because yes. I always like to find out, like, what are you going to be and what does that look like? People and love the quizzes, people too. People love quizzes. Love. Absolutely. So we have another quiz. Okay. So this quiz is a body type quiz that's added to the chronotype quiz. So you did mention um, Stacy's uh, love of body types. And so body types... If people don't remember, like think back to high school biology when you learned about the endomorph, the mesomorph and the ectomorph. So for a review for some people who might not remember all of the high school biology as they should, um, ectomorphs are the long and lean people. Mesomorphs are more of the V-shaped people. Usually their shoulders are a little bit wider than their hips. I call them more like the athletic built. Right, an athletic build. And then the endomorphs are more kind of a rectangly build. So they they kind of keep their weight on their hips around their backside, around the middle for guys. So these end up being, when you start to think about it, have a lot to do with metabolism, right? And so structure, you know, skeletal frames are pretty easy to figure out, but the the width and how you hang the meat on the skeleton has a lot to do with your metabolism. So I believe that the ectomorphs, and I've got the data to prove it, have a fast metabolism. The mesomorphs have a medium metabolism and the endomorphs have a slower metabolism, okay? So now you start to think about this and you're like, okay, if I take these body types, right? Mm -hmm. and And I put them together with chronotypes, what happens? So we actually did the study. So just to remind people what chronotypes are, if you've ever been called an early bird or a night owl, those are chronotypes. Well, go through it quickly because I don't, just in case people don't know. For sure. Yeah. This is like, this is one of your core pillars. This is it. This is a pillar for sure. Absolutely. Let's do it. So my chronotypes are, I I renamed them because I'm not a bird, I'm a mammal. And I wanted to have animals that actually represented these chronotypical schedules. So early birds turn into lions. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a lion? Oh, and that's my phone over there. We're going to, should we just let it ring? We can, or we can just... uh... Or just give it to you. <laughs> we'll just turn it off for just a second. There. Okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. Everybody out there in Everyone podcast has a land. Phone, so they everybody know. does. So they yeah. know. So early birds turn into lions. And again, who doesn't want to be a lion? Lions are kind of my COOs of the company. They're the people who are really good at leadership roles. Um, they're also the people that are kind of militant in their thinking. They go from step one to step two to step three, like bing, bing, bing. Very straight, straightly ordered, um, very health conscious people, uh, usually the alphas in the room, right? Right. Um, those are usually my lions. Again, they like to wake up around 4.35 o'clock naturally. Um, I personally can't think of 
anything worse. Yeah. Like the only thing I hate more than mornings are morning people. I'm just going to get that out there. <laughs> um, they're just too freaking chipper in the mornings for me. Well, I thought like, well, by the way, I wake up at like seven o'clock, right? In the morning, 7 a.m., 6.45. I thought that was early, but you're oh, right. No. It's like, that's not even like, that's nothing yeah. compared to no, these, no, these no. lions. I, and so as you know, today is the day we're launching this new book. Right. And I had to be up at 5.20 this morning to get to be on East Coast TV. So, and I'm a wolf and we'll get to that in a second, but you'll understand why it's been so painful for me today wow. to have gotten up that early. So exhausted right I'm now? so tired. Yeah. So lions really are an interesting group. And a lot of people wish they were a lion, but the truth of the matter is socially they have a problem. Dinner in a movie is out for a lion because they've been up since four freaking 30 in the morning. Like right. they're exhausted. Like they're not interested in doing anything social. So pros and cons to being a lion. That represents, by the way, about 10 to 15% of the right. population. Bears make up 55, 0% of the population. So most of society is a bear. To be honest with you, I wish I was a freaking bear. Yeah. Um, yeah, because easier it's to- so much easier. All of society works on a bear schedule. Nine to five is perfect for a bear. Most bears wake up around seven. They go to bed around 10. So it really kind of works out well for them. Um, these people have a tendency to be the glue of society, the people who get the work done, usually fun, nice people, but really a majority of the of the people out there fall into this category. Next come the night owls or what I call wolves. So raising of the hand here, I am the wolf for sure. Right. Um, ever since I was a teenager, I like to stay up until 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning and I have no problems doing it. Um, and I love to sleep later on in the day. If, what time do you wake up? Time. So currently I have a whole story about how my sleep consolidated, but generally speaking, if I hadn't done some very specific things to consolidate my sleep, my preferred time of waking would be somewhere between 7.30 and 8 o'clock. Easily. Oh, okay. 7.38, but you're going to bed like at one. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's not that different of a bear though. No, it's not that different of a bear, but it, it makes a significant difference for things like going to work and yeah. your boss getting pissed off <laughs> and stuff like that, right? True, true. Yes. So, so that's the wolf. My, and to be clear, these, all of these were around before I came along. People knew about the early bird and the night owl. My contribution to the literature was I discovered an insomnia that fit into this chronotypical category. So for folks out there to remember, chronotypes are genetic. So I can go to a very specific place in your 23andMe data or your Ancestry.com data. Um, on the PER3 gene, there's what's called a single nucleotide polymorphism or a flip-flop of the uh, anatomical blocks that are there that create your DNA. That causes some people to go to bed later, some people to go to bed earlier. So this is all genetically based. I discovered one that was an insomnia that was genetically based. Now by discover, I don't mean that I was searching through people's genomes. It was in the literature. I just realized that it could be categorized with these other three right. to increase the categorization from three to four. Right. So now we've got lions who are my early birds, bears who are kind of in the middle, night owls are wolves, and then insomnia are my dolphins. Um, the reason I call them dolphins, aside from the fact that dolphins are kind of the coolest fish in the sea, um, <laughs> is that dolphins sleep unihemispherically. So half of their brain is asleep while the other half is awake and looking for predators. And I felt like that kind of represents people with insomnia who are like never quite asleep. Right, So when, yeah. right. So we take these four chronotypes, we layer in the body types. How we did that was um, I've had a million and a half people take the quiz. So we reached out and we said, does anybody want to take another quiz about body type? We had easily lots of people. So we took 5,000 people and all of a sudden we started to learn so much more because 
because we discovered, we started asking them their preferences for things like exercise and food and all of these different things. And all of a sudden we started to learn that we could take body type plus chronotype. So two genetic things, mm -hmm. right? Your metabolic speed and your entire chronobiological system, put them together and it kind of unlocks all kinds of cool stuff. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. So then like, okay, so then let's start with like the mesomorphs, like the, in the mm -hmm. middle, the athletic yep. build. Yep. So, so someone like a mesomorph, um, do you go, do you say, okay, if that person's a bear like me, that's the most basic, <laughs> right? Bear, well, you know, well, and then we can kind of, kind right. of branch out after that. Right. So what does that mean? So what you do is you create a power profile, right? right? And What's so, a power profile? Because that's in the book. Right. So the power profile is what speed is your metabolism based on your body type and what is your chronotype? So what you're talking about is a medium bear, right? So mm -hmm. medium metabolism, because that's the mesomorph. Mm -hmm. And then bear is the chronotype that has the most likelihood because 50% of people are bears, right. right? So what does that entail and how does that work? Well, we now know a lot of different things. So let's take a look at intermittent fasting. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and I think I said something about it last time we were on the show together, is I've been an intermittent faster for like five years, yeah. but I never followed the guidelines that the intermittent fasting people gave because I believe in chronotypes. Right. So I fast later because I'm a wolf chronotype and I discovered all of a sudden it works even better. Really? Yes. So what happens? So what's your schedule then? What do you do? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so in the book, we actually teach people how to create their own schedule based on these two factors. So believe it or not, it's three times four. So there's quite a few different possibilities there. So do the there. bear and the, and the mesomorph. Well, since no, no, a no. lot of people follow I can them. give you a general outline for, oh. for it that I think people will really enjoy. Oh, okay. So first of all, I want to explain to people an easy way to figure out if you're an endomorph, a mesomorph, or an ectomorph, okay? So you take your thumb and your forefinger and you put it around your wrist. If you can touch... You're a mesomorph. If your fingers overlap, you're an ectomorph. And if your fingers don't touch, you're an endomorph. So what's this? So yours overlap. So you're an ectomorph. You're a leany. I'm not. You are. There's no, that's, that's no way. I'm telling Have you. Have you not seen my ass? I'm, I am not an ectomorph, I'm, honey. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to comment because your husband and I are friends as to whether or not I've seen your ass. But I, what I can tell you is that your metabolism is quicker than you might imagine. Um, and that's based on, and this is, this is a well-known uh, biological anatomical marker for ectomorph, endomorph, and mesomorph. Really? Yep. Because you know what? I've been, I grew up always have, knowing, like, I just have very small wrists. Yeah. But it's not... It's, it's not like in, it doesn't, it doesn't compare to any other body type of mine. It's just because my bones are small there. I'm telling you, this is one of the most well-known anatomical markers that there is. Really? You're an ectomorph. I swear. Okay, then who would be a mesomorph? So a mesomorph is me, right? So look, see? I can literally just touch. You are almost. You are so far past. Look at it. you. You can. You can. I'm. Only, that's because I'm pushing it. All I'm doing is. You don't. Have, you don't want to do it tight. You just want to do it so like it is. So you've got lots of space there. I'm telling you. Wow. Okay. So I would be a mesomorph. So once you just determine which body type you are, ectomorph is fast, mesomorph is medium, endomorph is slow. Then you add it to your chronotype. So I am a medium wolf. You're a I'm medium a wolf. Okay. I'm a medium wolf. Okay. Right? So now that you know I'm a medium wolf, now I'm going to figure out how and when to do my intermittent fasting. So 
when I do it is based on my wolf schedule. So that means I'm not going to start until much later in the day. Right. How long I should do this fasting versus feeding is based on my body type. So ectomorphs who are lean, they don't want to lose any more weight. So we don't have them fasting for long periods of time. So they'll fast for 12, feed for 12. This is only your starting point for people to know where to go because most people don't know where to start. For your mesomorphs, you change it by two hours. So mesomorphs, you uh, fast for 14 hours, feed for 10 hours. Notice how I changed that timing. For for, uh, endomorphs, right, who do want to lose weight more quickly, what do we do? We do an 816. Mm -hmm. And that's where they start. So it's very easy to now have some kind of understanding of where to start in terms of length of fast and length of feed and when to do it so that it's the most effective. So a lot of people are out there intermittent fasting. They're not doing it right. Right. Because they're not doing it. This is all based on genetics. Like, I'm not making this stuff up. We've got research to show this really works. Right, right, right. And so you're a believer, though, and like, let's, let's circle it back to the sleeping part, right? Yeah. That if we intermittent fast, it would improve our sleep overall. Correct. So there's actually data to show that it does. Um, there's data to show that intermittent fasting helps with melatonin production, also helps with circadian rhythmicity. So having consistency. Mm-hmm helps breed consistency. So eating on a consistent schedule makes the rest of your circadian system be on a consistent schedule. And if you match it with your chronotype, yay. Yeah, it's really even better, right? Right. So what if we don't do intermittent fasting, but we just tend to eat the same foods over and over again? Perfectly fine. It's just all about the window of when. My book is about energy and how to increase your energy. One of the things that we know that has been reported from lots and lots of intermittent fasters They've got more energy. Mm -hmm. Why do they have more energy? Well, there's this process called autophagy. So Mm -hmm. autophagy, remember, is when we burn through all the carbs, which is slow energy, Mm -hmm. and we hit fat, which is fast energy. Mm -hmm. And so the quicker we can get through autophagy and get to that fat energy, fast energy, the better off we are. Well, you've lost a lot of weight, though, too. You look (laughs) super lean compared. I mean, even last time you were pretty lean, though, too, I think. But even more so. Yeah, I've definitely... And I'm working out less, believe it or not. Um, And I'm just really spending more time on balance and like figuring out what to do from a balance perspective. So I stretch every morning. Um, So I I can tell you my morning routine. Um, I talk about it in the book. Yeah. Um, So I wait. So it's kind of funny. So I wake up every morning. We got a new puppy, by the way. I think, did I send you a picture? No, you did not. (gasps) Moose. Oh, my, my God. French what kind bulldog. Of, oh, it's oh, so cute. I love so those. Cute. Yeah. So we, um, in the morning, our older dog requires medication. So when I wake up, I give him his meds. And what time is that? Eight, eight o'clock in the morning? So I wake up at 6.15 without an alarm. I'll tell you that story. So I used to wake up much later because I'm a wolf. See, right. she's looking at me right now, guys. You can see yeah, the eyes. She's like, sounds like a lion She's like, hmm, <laughs> what's going on with this fellow? So here's what happened is I started going to bed at midnight. I did an experiment on myself about three years ago saying, I'm going to can make my bedtime as consistent as humanly possible and just allow my body to wake up whenever it does. Okay. When I did that, I was waking up at uh, 7.30, 7.45. When I kept it consistent within two months, I was waking up at 7.30. Two months later, it was 7 o'clock. I plateaued down to six hours and 15 minutes. So by following my chronotypical bedtime, so I'm a wolf, right? right. So by going to bed at midnight it actually consolidated my sleep. Wow. So if you just if you just pick a time to go to bed consistently at that time, your body will naturally If you're close to your chronotype, 
it'll work like a charm. If you're the opposite of your chronotype, it won't work. So if I had picked a time of eight o'clock at night to go to bed, never would have right, worked. That's early. I mean, so, so a bear like myself, Yes. if I, because it, it says it says 10 o'clock for me, right? Mm -hmm. That's a little early. Like I would go to bed at 11.30. Perfect, go to bed at 11.30. But then, but that's kind of late. Like that's, no, it's there, not. are there hybrids of this? There the, are, okay. we know that there are uh, slow and fast. Uh, no, uh, so what do we call them in the in the hybrid model? There are, oh, early and late bears. Oh. So you're a late bear. I'm a late bear, right? You are. And then, but it's always important for consistency for sleep anyway, exactly. right? Exactly. So as long as it's consistently that you're a late bear, you're fine. Okay, so then that's fine. So then we, so if they, if they do that and they consistently go to sleep at the same time mm -hmm. and do all those things, then what? Consolidation of your sleep schedule. You actually get more time in your day. So I used to require seven hours and 45 minutes to sleep. Now I only require six hours and 15 minutes. I just got 90 minutes added to my day. And you feel the same? You don't feel- So I even checked my numbers with my aura ring, yeah. um, like percentage wise, yeah. I'm getting exactly the right percentages. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. It's awesome. It's all about consistency of the circadian system. That's why the number one thing I'm always telling people is wake up at the same time every single day. Yeah, I mean, me too. And I'll, but I, I also, even on the weekends, I, I wake up Especially at the same time. Especially on the weekends. That's the most important time to do it, being consistent. Wow, okay, so then, okay, what is your, the power profile combining your body type and the chronotype? Okay, yep. how about like, okay, how about brain fog? I know brain fog's a big one, right? For sure. Okay, so can you just kind of help us with that? Because mm -hmm. if sometimes when you don't don't sleep enough, that's what happens. For sure, so there's really a lot of different components to brain fog these right. days. And, and we don't always know which ones we've got, right? And so some right. of it has to do with something called sleep inertia. So when we're sleeping for a long period of time, sometimes our brain wants to stay asleep. And so it's hard to kind of clear those cobwebs in the morning. Yeah. That has to do with the continued melatonin production. So your brain continues to produce melatonin, which makes your brain want to kind of stay right. asleep. Easiest way to get rid of that, even though, by the way, you're awake and still wandering around, melatonin could still be going on in your head very easily. Sunlight is the best way to just turn the faucet right off. So my biggest recommendation, other than waking up at the same time every day, walk outside and get 15 minutes of sun. Yeah. Number one, it's great for vitamin D production. That's about all the time it takes to get it. Everybody needs vitamin D. People are so, so, so deficient in vitamin D. By the way, I think it's 97% of COVID deaths are in people who are vitamin D deficient. Absolutely, vitamin D is a, people don't even realize if you're living in a, even in California, you're yeah. still vitamin D uh, deficient. Absolutely. I take a, a supplement. Do you take a supplement? I do. I take 10,000 units, units of D3 every day. 10,000? Oh, I, I take five. And I thought that was a lot. Yeah. No, I take 10,000 every day. Who told you to take that many? My You're, doctor. Really? <laughs> That's because also, isn't there something about if it's you about take absorption? Too much? Yeah. Well, I, you know, you can overdo vitamin D, but I mean, I'm not anywhere close to that. I've got, uh, I know people who take 50,000 units a day. Um, I don't Are sure. they living in Alaska? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not, that's a good question. Yeah. I'm not sure um, why they do it at those levels because I didn't. they weren't my patients, so I didn't ask them, but there were friends that do it that way. Does, if, if someone takes vitamin D as a supplement mm -hmm. instead of going outside for the 15 minutes, does that help with your sleep overall? So it will help for, with circadian rhythmicity, but uh -huh. it will not help with the um, removal of melatonin because we need sunlight to hit your eye to send that signal. Because last time you were here, we were talking about how melatonin as a supplement's not good. Not good. But yet it's like a huge business. It's ridiculous. And people keep people still think, or people think that that is the way to fall asleep. Yeah, people think melatonin is a sleep initiator. Yeah. And sleep is, it's actually a sleep regulator. Okay, explain so, the difference. So a sleep regulator basically tells your brain it's bedtime. A sleep initiator makes you fall asleep. 
right? Mm -hmm. So there's th those two are very, very different. So um, it's the difference between having an appetite at certain times and being hungry. Oh, is that okay? So, so yet, yeah, why do people still they they are dependent on taking it? before they go to bed which and they is, think it works for which them. Which is so ridiculous because 99% of people have plenty of melatonin on board. The number of people that have a melatonin deficiency is so small, it's remarkable. Um, but if you do have a melatonin deficiency, which you can actually do an online test um, at like a saliva test, uh -huh. then it is worth taking it, but you don't need that much. 95% of it is sold in an overdosage format. Most people are taking three milligrams, five milligrams, or 10 milligrams. The appropriate dose for an adult is between half and one and a half milligrams. So then why, so, but, so how is it that people are actually falling asleep with it? Is it because they're just it's psychosomatic? They yeah, think absolutely. it's working, so of therefore course. it's working? Yeah. So what would be like, how about, how about magnesium? I heard magnesium is also- So magnesium has got some science behind it. Magnesium has got some um, ability to make people feel calmer, people feel more relaxed, and then a kind of lower anxiety and allow that natural sleep process to take over. So it's, it's, a, it's a very different animal. I would say magnesium is more likely to help somebody fall asleep. Melatonin is more likely to keep somebody asleep. But once again, most people don't have a melatonin deficiency. There is, however, one group of patients that you can use melatonin in fairly big dosages in, and it works well, and that's autistic children um, or anyone on the autistic spectrum. Mm. There's a lot of data now coming out that three and five milligrams in those, uh, in those individuals can actually be helpful for them for sleep. Oh, interesting. Okay. So but why did you guys decide to write this together in this way? So we, we were, we've been friends for a while and we were talking and she turned to me and she was like, my clients are so exhausted um, all the time. And I was like, are they sleeping well? And she's like, I don't know, but they're working out really well. And I turned to her and I said, you know, some of my patients are exhausted and I know they're sleeping well, but they're telling me that they're still exhausted. And she's like, are they exercising right? And so we said, there's gotta be a crossroads here. Um, so originally the, the original title of the book was called Exhausted. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I think people would have really kind of taken to that one. So then yeah. what is the, what is the correlation between the fitness and the sleep? Because you know, people say if you work out before you go to bed or when you work out, when I, when I work out, I sleep better. Yes. So right? the data is very, very consistent on that. People who are regular exercisers, and I'm not talking about your twice a week people. I'm not talking about three right. times a week. I'm talking about five to seven days a week people, they sleep better than people that don't exercise that amount. Is it because they're exerting a lot more energy or? So we're not 100% sure. We think it has something to do with just the entire system kind of continuing to reboot and kind of, you know, when you take a battery, like, mm -hmm. like, like your body battery and you drain it and then mm -hmm. you fill it back up, it's going to feel better than if you're constantly doing one of these types of things, right? Right. right. So you, instead of getting the trickle of energy, you want to you know, reboot, if you will. So we think it has, it could have something to do with that. It could just be that people who enjoy exercise are genetically better sleepers. And that could be the reason why they enjoy exercise. Because oh. when you talk to some people who are sleep deprived, the last thing they want to do is exercise because it sounds so unappealing to them. Right. Is there a form of exercise that works better than other forms of exercise? There is, depending okay. upon your body type. Oh, here we go back to the body type. <laughs> okay. So let's go through that. So, you know, it's interesting, but when we look at endomorphs versus 
versus ectomorphs, we can see very easily there's certain exercises that some want to do and some don't want to do. So endomorphs hate cardio. Why? Because they're bigger and they can't be successful at it. And ectomorphs hate, you know, doing heavy build muscle exercises mm -hmm. because they're weaker and they can't throw around weight as much. It's kind of common sense, actually, when you think about that, <laughs> right. right? And that's why you see all these ectomorphs, otherwise known as like skinny minis, right. loving the bar classes mm -hmm. and the yoga classes mm -hmm. and Pilates, never like hardcore right. weight stuff. Or, exactly. Yeah. So it starts to make sense. How about the mesomorphs? So the That's mesomorphs. I still believe I am, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. It's but okay. okay. Um, mesomorphs are great for everything. So mesomorphs are in the middle. We sure are. Just <laughs> <laughs> but it's good because you're in the middle, right? Right. And so you're, you have the body type that will allow you to do all kinds of exercises. You've proven that time and time again with your fitness career. Right, right. right? Exactly. Well, except uh, I hate, I hate Pilates. I'm not a hate, but I don't love yoga. I don't love the bar. Right. But that would make sense because as you're saying, you're more on that mesomorphy side yes, exactly so that would make that would make intuitive sense to me that that could be okay same as well so then okay so the what type so if so if if the mesomorph is good with everything and the ecto is about more on the cardio you know stuff, stretchy you know pilates stuff. stuff and the endos are more on the anaerobics so more on those types of so where does that leave it with the sleep then so it depends on if they're doing if so the body type is doing the exercise form that works best for them yes then they sleep better that is correct and okay. when they sleep better, they enjoy those exercises more. Right. And they stay more motivated because they're more successful because they keep reaching the plateaus that they want. You know, I I wanted to ask you about staying asleep. I think that's a lot of people. It's I, a big issue. It's a big one, right? Because I think stress, like, and I, I have no problem falling asleep. But even as I get older, I, I find it harder to stay asleep. So number one complaint is inability to stay asleep. Um, and right. most people have a time. Like they're like, it's at 327. Exactly. <laughs> Between two and three o'clock, I'm up. Right. You know? Right. So one of the top questions that I get asked, something that we do address in the book, but I'll address it now for you and for all of your podcast listeners. Okay. Thank you. How kind of you. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for coming on the podcast and answering my questions. As well, I mean, to it is your me. personal therapy that yeah. we're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's all good. I think a lot of people can relate. <laughs> okay. So the very first thing that people do is they look at the clock, right? Oh, and they know. So true. And it's such a bad idea. Okay, dude, don't look at the clock. <laughs> it's so hard because not to. Because you instantly do the mental math, right? And then you say, oh shit, it's three o'clock in the morning. I've got to get up at six. Sleep, sleep, sleep. And you try to sleep, okay? So I've said this before. I'm sure I'll say this many more times. <laughs> yep. Sleep is a lot like love. The more you look for it, the less it shows up. <laughs> That's a great, so true though, right? right? So when you're out there looking for that person, you're never going to find them. But when you just relax for a minute, that person wanders into your life. Sleep is exactly the same way. So when you look at the clock, don't worry. Number one, yeah. okay? Yeah. Because worrying is not, elevating your anxiety is gonna do no good whatsoever. Now, the next thing I'm gonna tell you is there's this thing that I actually learned from Andrew Huberman um, that is called non-sleep deep rest. So there's data on lying in a bed, mm -hmm. quiescent, lights off, eyes closed, it's still rejuvenative. Now it's not rejuvenative to the point of sleep, but an hour of that is probably worth about 20 minutes of sleep. So when you wake up between two and three in the morning, mm -hmm. 
don't call me. <laughs> don't worry. Yes, <laughs> please. But you won't answer anyway. I probably won't. Yeah. Look at the clock because I know you're going to anyway. Right. And then you can turn to yourself and you can say, hey, number one, I've been down this path before and, and I didn't die. Right. Like I'm nothing terrible is going to happen. So that's number one. Yeah. Number two, if I lie here for a little while, I'm still going to get some form of rejuvenation. And Dr. Bruce reminded me that that's still pretty good. Number three, if I relax enough and I can lower my heart rate, then I might be able to fall back asleep. So most people don't know, but heart rate is really the biggest determining factor. You want a heart rate of 60 or below to enter into a state of unconsciousness. So once you've calmed yourself down and realized, hey, here's an opportunity to either practice some of that non-sleep stuff that that weird doctor guy was talking about, <laughs> or just know that I'm gonna be okay, now you can try something called four, seven, eight breathing, right? So this was a technique that was developed by Andrew Wilds, used by Navy SEALs. Mm -hmm. You breathe in for a count of four, you hold it for a count of seven, and you breathe out for a count of eight. What this does is it helps you dump any excess carbon dioxide. People don't know carbon dioxide weighs more than oxygen, mm -hmm. so it sits in the bottom of your lungs. So by pushing out eight, you dump all that extra CO2, you bring in a big breath, four big four count breath for more oxygen, your heart has to work less. Guess what that means? Your heart mm -hmm. rate goes down. Your heart rate will dump down to 60 in about four or five cycles. So I tell people, look, do six or eight cycles of four, seven, eight breathing. Remember non-sleep deep rest and just chill. Right? The other big thing is if you don't have to go to the bathroom, don't. So here's the thing. Many people will wake up in the middle of the night and they'll be like, well, I'm up. I guess I should see if I can pee. No, bad freaking idea, okay? Because heart rate, right? You go from lying down to sitting to standing and walk across the room, of course you're gonna jack your heart rate. So at that point, it doesn't make any sense. So if you don't have to pee, don't pee. To be clear, if you gotta go to the bathroom, go pee. Right, I, that's, that's a good piece of advice. I That's automatically when I when I wake up in the middle of the night, what do I do? It just autopilot, I, I, I go pee every time. And you're saying not to do that. Not if you don't really need to. Now you're going to be thinking about me in the middle of the night. Yeah. I don't know if that's such a good idea. I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> More from our guests, but first a few words from our sponsor. So I have been a huge fan of Trinogen for years, and that's why I am super excited to share that I've recently began partnering with them. I literally don't miss a day taking it. And if I were to only take one supplement, this is the one. And here's why. Our bodies produce a molecule called NAD, which is critical for our cellular energy and repair, but the levels sadly decline as we age. A nutrient that can help increase our NAD is a form of vitamin B3 called nicotinamide riboside, otherwise known as NR. It is the most efficient way to get this is through this Truniagen because it's the best NAD precursor around. Truniagen helps support our bodies against everyday stressors that can really damage our cells like overeating, drinking, staying up too late. In my opinion, no one is too young to take it. I wish I knew about this in my early 30s. And what's most amazing is that Truniagen is backed by 18 clinical trials and has endorsements of two Nobel Prize winning scientists. So go check it out at trueniagen.com. That's T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N. -E and we have a special offer for new customers to receive $20 off orders of $100 or more using the code HUSTLE20. So definitely run, don't walk and scoop some up now. 
how about in terms of food? I mean, is there things that I should stay away from before I go to sleep that will make me wake up that I'm not even I'm like not even conscious of? So there's a lot of foods out there that can do some damage when it comes to sleep. But more importantly, there's some very pro sleep foods as well. Okay. Anything with the omegas. So any fish products, right. salmon, tuna, all those things. Great, great, great for sleep. Believe it or not, broccoli is good for sleep because it helps detox caffeine faster. There's an enzyme in broccoli. Yeah, steamed broccoli really? that helps you blow through some caffeine a little bit quicker. So if you had a latte at four o'clock, you may want some steamed broccoli um, with, really? your, with your salmon. Yeah, yeah. The data is out there on it. It's pretty interesting stuff. I um, never heard that. So broccoli can help get rid of um, unneeded can, caffeine in mm -hmm. your body. Yeah, it can help metabolize it. Tell me some other good little little ones like that. <laughs> I never heard nuggets. that. Yeah, little golden nuggets like that. So I'm gonna have to. I'll have to go through my through my litany of different nuggets. Okay. Magnesium is a big one for sleep. We can get that through leafy green vegetables and things like that. But remember something: you can eat a freaking bushel of kale, and you still might not get enough magnesium because our soil has been so overtilled, right? Right. And so magnesium. You know, we don't make magnesium. We have to eat it. So one of my favorite ways to get magnesium is with my recipe for banana tea. Oh, I guess. Let's talk about that. <laughs> and why do you think that's such a good thing to have? Do bananas help put the, the potassium in bananas? Is that from? It's potassium and magnesium. So most people don't know it, but we call bananas nature's sleeping pill because it's loaded with magnesium. But the magnesium is not in the fruit. It's in the peel. So what wow. am I going to ask you to do? No, not back in high school when they said you're supposed to smoke banana peels. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that you actually take a banana, organic banana, you wash it off, cut off the tip and the stem, cut it in half. Okay. All I've actually to do so far is take an organic banana and wash it off. Drop it into about four cups of boiling water and boil it for about six minutes or until the banana turns brown and then drink the water. It's loaded with magnesium, phytosteroids, all kinds of things to help you absorb it. As my daughter likes to say, dad, it's very banana-y. So you have <laughs> yeah. to really like bananas, but it's really quite delicious. It's great for constipation. It doesn't interact with any medications. You can give it to seniors. You can give it to kids. I got one mom and she pours it into popsicle molds and gives it to her kids and they're out like a light. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. That is a great tip. You've never said that before. Really? Well, banana tea. You asked for me to bring out some good stuff. I know. Stuff. I, want the, I want some new, fresh ideas. <laughs> and you're bringing them. The broccoli, the banana tea. Now, now we're cooking with gas here. <laughs> I love that one. The banana. And that's, I always heard that bananas were very constant. They, they can cause constipation. So, because they're very, they have, they have a super high glycemic index. Mm -hmm. So, for people out there who are diabetic, banana tea is probably not the best idea. Right. Um, but when you're only drinking the water that's got the that, that doesn't have all that fiber in it, it becomes it becomes doing the opposite. It's not constipating. It actually does the opposite for most people. Oh, wow. Okay. Give me one more good food or tea. So for the diabetics out there who can't have banana tea, yeah. there's something called guava leaf tea, not guava fruit, not guava juice, but guava leaf tea. So there's at least one scientific study that shows that guava leaf tea helps keep your blood sugar stable all night long. So one of the things, it's another issue of people who wake up in the middle of the night mm -hmm. is blood sugar dumps. So if you haven't eaten in a while, like let's say you finished your food for the night at seven, eight o'clock and you don't go to bed until 1130, 12 o'clock, what happens when you wake up at three? Well, that's about eight hours from your last meal, I would guess. Mm, right? right? So guess what? 
the dinner bells ringing in your head. So being able to have something ahead of time that can keep your blood sugar stable, like this guava leaf tea could be helpful. Or my final tip that you may or may not have heard, I don't know yet, is raw honey. Oh, raw, no, that, my, no, I don't think you said that one. So raw honey is another favorite. So, and you want it raw and you want it locally raw, all right? So this isn't the honey from the bear at the grocery, okay? <laughs> Go to, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> totally. Right? Go to a place that's got a farmer's market or what have you with a local honey. The reason you want it local is it has all the particulates, all the flowers and the pollen are in it. So if you have allergies, you can start to get used to it. One teaspoon of raw honey about a half an hour before bed, not if you're diabetic, go for the guava leaf tea. But if you want, you can actually have this with your banana tea if you really want to have something that's pretty delicious. But the raw honey is more difficult for your body to process and it helps keep your sugar stable all night long. So what I was going to say that what happened, I eat a lot of fruit. That's like my big weakness. Yeah, you so, eat a lot of sugar. I eat a lot of sugar. <laughs> so then if I'm waking up in the middle of the night, is it because I've had too much sugar? Can it be the also the opposite? I would agree. I would say probably. I would curtail your fruit at the, towards the end of the evening and start to see if that moves your awakening time or try the guava leaf tea. Where would I even get that? Guava it's on Amazon. Tea. It's all over the place. Yeah. It's just guava leaf tea. Guava leaf tea. Because the banana one, you can just make by buying a banana. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the brand I like, I think it's called DNA. For the guava leaf tea? Yep. That's a very good tip. Okay, you always you always talk about napping when you're here. I do. And you love, you're a big napper. I am. And I'm working with a new product right now that's super cool that has all to do with napping. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, you can tell me about that one second. I was going to say, if someone is a bad sleeper, though, is it a bad idea to take a nap? Correct. Because- if you're a bad sleeper and you're napping, you're lowering your sleep drive and you're making it more difficult for you to sleep at night. So for most people who um, are bad sleepers, I would say you want to be steer clear of the nap. Now, every once in a while, taking a nap might not be a bad idea. For example, if you've got a big presentation. So let's say you only got three hours of sleep and you're already not a great sleeper and it's really making you anxiety. Then I would say a nap is probably not the worst idea just before your presentation, but set an alarm (laughs) because gosh forbid, if you, you know, go through the whole presentation of sleep. So then, cause you have all these different forms of napping. There's a bunch. So yeah. there's the disco nap, which is right. like a pregame nap for folks out there. So uh, many people may not even know what a disco is um, because they're so damn <laughs> yeah. young. And you're so old. I you're am. dating yourself right 53 now. 53 years. I'll be 54 in February. Real, you look great though. Thanks. No, I appreciate you're welcome. It. Yeah, you 53. It's killing me. Well, yeah, well, you wouldn't, you couldn't tell. You're you're, you're doing an amazing job, looking youthful, as sounding youthful. Well, thank you. Youthful. Well, thank you. Well, then let's talk about the disco nap yes. since it's from my youth. <laughs> exactly. So a lot of people would go out to the discos, but you didn't go there until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. So people would take a nap beforehand right. to kind of bank their sleep if they would be able to kind of make that happen. So that's the disco nap. One of my favorite naps uh, is called the Napa Latte. You love that one. I do love that one. And that's a lot about like this product that I'm working with now. So my original idea was that you have caffeine just before you take a nap. And when you wake up, you've gotten rid of a little bit of deep sleep and the caffeine is locks in and boom, you're good for four hours. So I talked about that the last time I was on your show. You actually really liked that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was approached by a company that's taken that one step further. So they're called Napjitsu. Okay, so I love the name. It's so much fun. 
fun. Um, and so it's a two pill combination. So they give you one uh, pill that you chew and it's got a little bit of passion flower in it and um, a little bit of magnolia bark and a little bit of valerian. So it helps you fall asleep because some people have a hard time falling asleep during the day. Then it's got 100 milligrams of caffeine and 600 milligrams of nootropics. 100 milligrams of caffeine is one cup of coffee. Just yeah, to let I you know. Even, I thought a cup is 200. Depends on who you get oh. the cup from, if it's drip, if it's not that. But on average, it's about 100. But okay. the nootropics are really where it's at because here's what happens is you get value from the sleep, you get value from the caffeine, but it's not focused. With the nootropics, they've got things like um, there I mean, there's actually a whole list, ashwagandha. I mean, there's a lot of things in there. But what's cool about it is when you wake up, you have energy and attention. Mm -hmm. So you get the sleep, you get the energy, you get the attention. And you kind of What's it called? Napjitsu. Napjitsu. Okay. Where, when did this whole thing happen for you? So that actually just happened. Um, we, I just actually announced my partnership with them uh, this week. Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And congratulations to that Napjitsu who has <laughs> you. Uh, so by the way, I wanted to ask you something and I, we kind of, I didn't ask you this part. Is it possible to over-exercise or exercise too much you where bet. it actually disrupts your sleep? Yeah, so it's called overtraining. Oh. Um, and so we see it every once in a while. It's something that I definitely have to keep an eye on with my um, professional athlete clients. Right. Because some of them are such good specimens. Like they're such, like I work with some surfers and like right. these people are, they're not like real humans. It's unbelievable, but they can end up overtraining. One of the early signs of overtraining is insomnia. So we really take a look at them. I keep uh, my aura ring on them so I can actually monitor all of my athletes sleep on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, cause that's, that's a real issue, right? For people 100%. who are, you think that you're like doing, not doing more is sometimes it's less is more, I was yes. going to say, right? Absolutely. Um, how about in terms of, okay, we talked about the natural, how about red light? So like if you're, does the red light help with sleep or if hinder sleep? So here's what I'm going to tell you. There was a- That's for the biohacker listeners out yeah, there. So, like there was, so there was a group that came to me that said, Michael, we want you to do some red light work. We want to develop a new red light, all of these things. Yeah. I could not find any data to suggest that red light before bed helps with sleep. The only data I was able to find showed that when red light is used in place of blue light, meaning when you don't have blue light- then mm -hmm. it's helpful. So you could do just the same thing with another shade of light if that's what you wanted to do, like an amber colored light or something so like that. So red lines. light doesn't help. Red it, light helps with inflammation. Yeah, infl yeah, I mean inflammation, all the red other light helps skin with conditions. Skin conditions. I have seen no data that says red light makes you fall asleep faster, gives you higher quality sleep, does anything to your sleep other than it when it replaces blue light. Mm-hmm it's better than being exposed to blue light. Right. How about, inf how about infrared saunas? Love infrared saunas, lots of good information about raising core body temperature. So if you do it about 90 minutes before bed, it gives your core body temperature a chance to continue to drift downwards because that's actually the mechanism by right. which melatonin kind of kicks off. So your core body temperature rises, rises, rises till about 1030 and when it peaks and then drops, that's a signal to your brain to release melatonin. You can artificially induce that by doing an infrared sauna. I'm a huge fan of saunas. Is it the same? If, how about if you don't have an infrared, you just have a regular sauna? You can have a same regular thing? sauna. I got one. This is kind of ridiculous. I got okay. one. It's like a big burrito. It's like a soft one. You lay in it and it, it surrounds oh, yeah. you. Do you like that one? I do. I liked it a lot. It works? Yeah. I was shocked. Really? Yeah. I can't remember the name of the company, but it worked really well. So how often do you do that? 
So it depends because um, sometimes uh, I work out um, and my workout facility has a steam room and a sauna. Mm. So it's kind of nice to go back and forth between the wet and the dry. So I have a tendency to do that. I would say I definitely do the sauna, especially now that it's getting colder. Probably once or twice a week. Yeah, it's really good. There's so many, there's so many other health benefits. I'm, a, I have one in my backyard now. I'm a huge fan of it. Yeah, so I love them. And people say like it help. I think it helps me sleep. I think it's no question about it. Every single patient that I have that owns a sauna at their home sleeps better because of it. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. So tell me the tell me some. We talked about a one one or two of the questions, but what are the most popular questions that you still get? <laughs> so the number one question that I get is, what bed should I buy? Um, really? Number one question has been. Have my you seen those smart beds, career. by the way? I have. I'm not a humongous fan. Yeah. Um, Do they work? Well, no, that's really. the big problem. Some of them, most of them actually don't work. But number two, not convinced you need to have all of that technology underneath you at all points in time. I do think there is a place for some technology and I think there's a way that you could do it that might be pretty cool. Um, but I'm not, I don't need my bed watching uh, my sleep necessarily, unless I've got a sleep related problem. Right. Um, but generally speaking, I'm not the biggest fan of smart beds. I like beds that do the two things that beds are supposed to do, which is give you support and give you comfort. Right. Right. Exactly. Like that's what I'm looking for. It's becoming for. so, everything's becoming so like tacky. And why didn't like sleep? I mean, even with the aura rings and you know, right. all, oh, everything yeah. is about like monitoring. I mean, I've, I, I mean, I actually believe that there's been, people are now having more anxiety than ever because they're watching all of these like. So there's now know. something called orthosomnia. Right, orthosomnia. Right, where you watch your data too much. Yeah. And it makes you nuts. It makes you nuts. Right. So I talk, so when, before I put a ring on somebody um, and you know, look, I've got rings on all kinds of, you know, celebrities. Are you, know, you with Aura Ring or something? Yeah, I'm, I'm on their board. Oh, you are. Yeah. I'm a huge, by the way, I will say of all of these sleep technologies, mm -hmm. that is the one I like the best because it's the most accurate because it's yeah. on your finger. It's much yep. more accurate and it, it's not as cumbersome. Right. Yeah. And you're right on both counts. And so the reason it's so accurate is because you can get core body temperature, mm -hmm. which means you can track sleep so much better. That's the right. reason that I joined the company was because the form factor is fantastic. Um, they just did a head-to-head -head study where them and Fitbit are the two most accurate uh, that are out there Yeah. Um, for falling asleep, waking up, and total sleep time. And then Aura actually had 85%, I think it was agreement with full nighttime polysomnography. So when we put people in a sleep lab, they had 85% agreement with that, which is the best anybody's ever done so far for sleep staging. Really? Yeah. So they're they're on their game in terms of they trying are. to get there in terms of the technology. But they're also the people that say, hey, if you if you you know live and die by these numbers every moment of every day, like, uh-uh, that's not a good idea either. So thinking through it, do you weigh yourself every day? Well, some people do because they want to keep an eye on that. Yeah. But then do you obsess and obsess and obsess over it? Well, if you do, then maybe you shouldn't weigh yourself every day. Same holds true with sleep. Yeah. For most of my patients, what I do is I take a look at their sleep once a week. Uh, usually the night before they have an appointment with me the next day. Um, so that way I can kind of get a summary of what's going on and be able to give them some real-time information. On occasion, I do have some patients who um, are interested in uh, particular feedback for particular things. So as an example, I have one uh, patient who is an, uh, an electronic uh, EDM, electronic dance music mm -hmm. uh, person, and um, he doesn't go on stage until one o'clock in the morning. And so he wants to know how his sleep was the night before. 
right? And right. Wants, so because he wants to have, he wants to be able to give a hundred percent of his energy at one o'clock in the morning. So wow. those are instances that you know where tracking can be very interesting, and you can really zoom in um, and learn some specifics. I actually do sleep genetics on almost all of my patients, so I actually can take your twenty three and Me data or your Ancestry.com data, and I can actually predict things that are going to happen about your sleep in the future with a reasonable degree of accuracy. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. That's great. I mean, can you, if I give you my stuff, can you do that for me? I could. And then do you like make suggestions or? I do. So like, as an example, I had one patient who had a 38% chance of having restless leg syndrome in the future. And in his blood work, we noticed that he had low ferritin, which is a key marker mm. for restless legs. So we gave him iron and we're oh, wow. trying to now avoid him getting restless leg syndrome. So that's kind of how it works. It's super cool. It's amazing. I also, do you feel there's been such an uptick though, just on people's interest and curiosity about sleep because sleep has become like a trillion dollar business now. I know. I feel like I'm the little black dress. You right. Know? You really are, <laughs> it's though. It's awesome. You really are. Uh, I mean, I've been at it for 23 years, you know, educating. I mean, I was the sleep expert for WebMD for 14 years. Like, I've been at this for a while and it's so thrilling mm -hmm. to see people finally starting to understand how important, you know, sleep is. I mean, especially now with the pandemic, you know, we're really seeing how sleep has such a great impact on immune function. Uh, and yeah. if, if we don't have our immune system steady, you know, for sure, you're going to get COVID and it's going to suck. You know, also, and if you're getting, you know, vaccinated, you should get good sleep the week before and good sleep in between the vaccinations because there's data to suggest that it makes the vaccine more effective. So really, yeah, there's all kinds of data. Oh, yeah. We've seen that data in the flu uh, studies that were done uh, in uh, University of San Francisco, uh, maybe eight, 10 years ago. The flu shot is much more effective if you get a good night's sleep the night before. Same goes holds true for COVID. This are, okay, that's, that, give me some more little tidbits like that. <laughs> See, these are the things that I like to give me some current new like statistics that you've learned over the last year or two. Well, there's some unfortunate ones, I'll tell you that. So, I mean, uh, alcohol is up, I think, 21% in terms of consumption. Caffeine consumption, I think, is up like 17%. Um, it, it's, it's, people have kind of gone off the rails, right? So you didn't have to go to work on a schedule so, and everybody could just throw on a ball cap and Zoom. Yeah. So, you know, like what's going on with this? Yeah. So people's sleep schedules are off. I mean, we're seeing record numbers of prescriptions for antidepressants and sleeping pills, like record numbers, like 20% increases over two years ago. Wow. So 20% more people are getting on antidepressants. 20% more people are getting on sleeping pills because everything is so messed up because their stress is through the roof. That's why we want clean energy. Like that's why I'm trying to do this and get the word out. It's like, we don't have to do this. If we could just follow like a simple freaking game know. plan, like we could all feel a hell of a lot better, but we're abusing substances that we don't. And look, I'm not saying don't have caffeine, don't drink. Like I like scotch, you know, like there's nothing wrong with it, but I'm not gonna have four and then go to bed. Right. You know? It also like, ruins your sleep though. The ruins truth is, it. I hate alcohol for that reason. It it's, makes you feel like crap. Oh my God, it's the worst. But a lot of people are addicted to, um, what's that sleep medication? Um, you know what it is. It's Ambien? Like Ambien. How does someone transition off of that? Should they be should they be uh, smoking weed or like <laughs> vaping weed? Because we can so get you is, to sleep. So this is a right. So there's lots of questions. I'm going to unpack what you just said really okay. briefly. Okay. okay. So first of all, 
If you are out there listening and you're on a sleeping pill, that is a conversation between you and your doctor. That is not something that you just willy nilly pull yourself off of. That's hyper dangerous and you will get something called rebound insomnia. You'll be awake for four days and you will be a mess. That's number one. Number two, there are people out there that should be on a pill to sleep. Again, if you're a paranoid schizophrenic, guess what? You're gonna need something to put your ass to bed, Mm -hmm. right? That's how that works, Right. right? That also works with people with major depression that also works that way with people with major anxiety disorders. So there's a lot of people out there where it's perfectly appropriate to be on a sleeping pill. So that's number two. Number three, if you don't like that, then you should be having a discussion with your doctor and you should be asking about a taper schedule. You never want to pull off of one of these medications quickly. Uh, For taper schedules that we've worked with my patients, we work with their doctors who are the prescribing physicians. It could take three to six months to get somebody Mm. off of 10 milligrams of Ambien, but we get them off of it very slow and very easy while I'm teaching them cognitive behavioral therapy and behavioral strategies, scheduling all of the different things that go with it. Now, there are some cases where somebody's insomnia is just so freaking bad, we need something to break the cycle. Sure, we'll use something like an Ambien at that point in time. Um, Ambien in particular um, is falls into the category of non-benzodiazepine hypnotics. So it's considered not in a class of addictive drugs, whereas benzodiazepine mm-hmm. hypnotics, Restoril, Xanax, those are considered highly addictive. Um, Xanax is a tough one. Um, I've never been able to get a patient off it. Really? Ever. So what happens? They just stay on it and that's it? Some people are stuck. Wow. Do they go to like, I mean, don't they go to some type of like uh, drug? So there are drug rehabilitation centers for people on benzodiazepines, people on sleeping pills, for sure. Um, There's some new data looking at a substance called NAD, um, which I know you're familiar with NAD. I'm very much familiar with NAD, like true niogen right behind you. So Um, there's data to show that IV NAD, so that's highly, highly concentrated NAD, Mm -hmm. can actually be quite helpful in bringing people off of benzodiazepine addiction Mm -hmm. and sleeping pill addiction, as well as alcohol addiction and marijuana. Um, So now let's talk about marijuana because you brought that up. So should you smoke weed while you're trying to come off your sleeping pills? No, that is a bad idea. I don't even mean that. I mean, how about just maybe not instead of, but how about if someone has a problem falling asleep, mm-hmm. if they vape weed or take an edible, can that get them to sleep? Is that a good option? So it can get them to sleep and it might not be a bad option. Um, we just don't know enough yet about the data. So there's not great data yet. All the data that we have in sleep and weed is from 30 years ago because it wasn't federally legal. Right. So nobody could study it. So we're really relying on the Israelis because they've got the most data and the Belgians, they've got some data on sleep. One of the things we're finding is something called CBN, is very effective. So CBN is oxidized THC. So if you remember back to high school, and I'm not picking on you in particular, but (laughs) if you ever had a bag of weed in high school and you left it in your closet for a couple of months um, and it turned brown, um, we would call that dirt weed. Mm-hmm. That was actually oxidized THC or CBN. So what it has is it has a lot of the characteristics of THC, which help lower the anxiety without the potency of the oh. psychedelic effects. So CBN can be effective with CBD, but I want to be very clear about something. The claims that are being made about CBD helping with sleep for the most part are complete and utter bullshit. 
All right. You would need the way the data reads right now, you'd need north of 160 milligrams of CBD in order to show any type of somnolent or sleepy effect. What CBD does do a good job of is reducing pain and reducing inflammation. Now, if you're not sleeping well due to pain or inflammation, take some CBD. <laughs> oh, is that right? Right. Because they're selling it. And I mean, listen, I think it's like the new cauliflower kale, right? Oh, I totally agree. It's uh, such horseshit. It is. I, I This whole CBD, like I refuse to really do anything with the CBD companies because I, don't, I find them all to be a bunch of nonsense. Well, here's what I can tell you is there are a few good ones out there, um, but those are the ones that actually do science. So I, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I had a group come to me with a CBD pillow. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? Yeah. And here's what they said to me. They said, we soaked the pillow in CBD. <laughs> and when you roll your head around, little micro spaniels burst and you sniff it in. Oh my God. Okay. So of course that's, there's no pot, <laughs> there's no universe where that actually occurs, but I figured I'd play around with them for a minute. And I was like, okay, well that sounds interesting. Um, how much CBD did you, did you soak this in? They said, you're going to be so excited, Dr. Bruce. We soaked it in 160 milligrams of oh CBD. So, right. So they looked up the yes. number, right? So I said, perfect. So if I swallow the whole freaking pillow, <laughs> then maybe it'll reduce some of my inflammation. Get out of oh my, my office. So like that's what happens is you've got people who are mis misrepresenting the science, not really looking at it. Look, if people want to learn how cannabis affects your sleep, I've written north of 14,000 words about it on my website. I've got eight different blogs looking at everything from, do you want to use CBD uh, for insomnia? Which weed should you smoke if you're trying to sleep better? How does marijuana affect my sleep stages? Like it's all there. I've done an extensive research on this and it's all well-referenced. So you can find out whatever you want. And you just told us it's the CBN kind, the oxidized THC is the best kind to be yep. sleeping with. Now, to be fair- I shouldn't have thrown that away last week. <laughs> Damn. A little bit of THC, I personally believe is good. And okay. I'll explain why. It lowers your anxiety. The biggest problem mm -hmm. with THC is it ups your heart rate. Remember, 60 is the magic number for heart rate. So you have right. to find one that doesn't have a very high level of THC, higher CBN is probably going to be good for you. I'll be honest with you, as a as a doc, I can't I can't say vaping is a good idea. It yeah. just goes against everything that, yeah, I, know. that I'm, I stand for. Um, but so a, how do you do it? Put it in a brownie? A do tincture? A tincture. Uh, you know, a little dropper that you can put under your tongue. It actually will get up and in sublingually almost as fast as if you vape. I love that. Or an edible. Mm -hmm. Edibles uh, take a little bit longer yeah, and they're forever. less predictable. I heard. Um, they're less predictable because you got to get in the stomach, all the stomach acid eats it, you got to get it up there. Personally, I would suggest use the under the tongue for sleep. If it's just for recreational use, again, as a doc, it's going to be hard for me to say if that you want to vape, that I want you to vape. <laughs> but what I can tell you is the effect is going to come on much quicker if you do. All right. And then um, any other tips we can t take away with us before you get off this podcast? <laughs> I don't know. I'm feeling a little tipped out. Um, buy my book. Yeah. That's the best tip okay. I can give you. Go buy Energize by Michael Bruce and Stacey Griffith. Go from dragging ass to kicking it in 30 days. 
I am so happy to have you again on this podcast. You're always, always a fun. great guest. <laughs> I swear, I love it. And always, like, you always bring the information all the time. I love it. It's I fun. got that broccoli one this time. I got banana the tea. Banana tea, the CBN. Oh, yes. I mean, I just. You're taking notes left yeah, and right. Yeah, I am. Raw honey. <laughs> I love it. Like, this is great. Where else can we find you? Where did they buy the book? So, buying the book, Amazon uh, as the obvious choice, mm -hmm. um, Books a Million, wherever books are sold. Or you can go to my website, thesleepdoctor.com. Or if you want to take the quiz, go to myenergyquiz.com and you can figure it all out. Yes, I love these quizzes. Everyone loves those quizzes. Quizzes are super fun. Yeah, they People are. will dig it for sure. For sure they will. Thank you, Michael, for being a great guest as usual. Thanks for having me on, JC. Absolutely. I'll see you again for your fifth book. <laughs> <laughs> Habits and hustle, time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind, don't stop, keep it going. Habits and hustle, from nothing into something. All out, hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries, tune in, you can get to know them. Be inspired, this is your moment. Excuses, we ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle Podcast, powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.